especially. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, Paul warned us when he said, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. One of the things I want us to discover this morning is what do we do when we are being persecuted? Do we dare go back on the word of God? Do we dare do something that God tells us not to do? Of course, the answer to that is no, but we want to see this as we go through here today. Many churches have, uh, have decided to compromise uh, the, to the world and the world's ideas of what is right and wrong instead of sticking with what Jesus said is right and wrong to escape the intimidation uh, from the unsaved world. Now, what I want to do is I want to divide up our passage this morning and just look at it piece by piece and read those, those sections so we can have them in our mind and see what God wants us to do. So I'm in Nehemiah chapter 6. Nehemiah went back to the land to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. That's his ministry. He's a very powerful man. He was the cupbearer to the king. The king gave him permission to do this, and they're at the point where they've just about got everything taken care of except they haven't filled in the, the doors and the gates to the wall around Jerusalem. So here's what's going on with that. They're busy trying to work on the wall. So in chapter 6, verse 1, I want to read 1 through 4 uh, for our first section. Now when it was reported that Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies, that I had rebuilt the wall and that no breach remained in it, although at that time I had not set up the doors in the gates, then Sanballat and Geshem sent a messenger to me saying, Come, let us meet together at Kepharim in the plain of Anno but they were planning to harm me. So I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave and come down to you? They sent messages to me four times in this manner and I answered them the same way. So now we have some other leaders who are outside of the land of Israel. We have some up in Samaria and we have others around there that don't like the wall and they're going to cause trouble for these people. They want the wall building to stop. What their motives are exactly isn't really clear. Uh, but we know that this, this ministry is in trouble and Nehemiah is in trouble because of the opposition. So what we see in verses 1 through 4 is this. Believers must be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. That is what Jesus, of course, taught. And if you want to, I think that's in your bulletin there under the notes. So if you want to look at Matthew 10 with me for just a minute. Matthew 10 and verse 16. Matthew 10, 16. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. But beware of men they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in the synagogues. So we find that that's in the context of people being persecuted for following Jesus Christ. And one of the things that Jesus wants them to know is that when you're out there among the wolves, I want you to not put yourself in harm's way uh, by being stupid about how you're, you're going to live or what's going on. But he says, I want you to be as wise as servants, but I want you to be as harmless as doves. We will not cause harm 
and we're going to be careful of being harmed before our time so we have as much time as we can to spend in serving Jesus Christ. You know, if, if we're going to take up a busload of Christians to go to jail tomorrow, if I can avoid that, I'd like to, uh, because I'd like to have a little more time to try to minister the gospel of Jesus Christ to people, to talk to them about their relationship with God. But if it, it has to be, then it has to be. So be as wise as serpents, but as harmless as doves when these things are happening. And I think we see Nehemiah doing this. Nehemiah, Nehemiah's enemies blame him for having completed the wall around Jerusalem. All right, we need to think about that. We notice that instead of attacking the Jews, which that plan has already been broken up because the Jews found out about it, remember, uh, they now attack Nehemiah personally. So our enemies are going to find every avenue that they can possibly find to get in and destroy the ministry, destroy your reputation, destroy what you're doing, make fun of it, mock it, uh, spread malice about it, ruin your reputation by going after you personally, or ruin the reputation of our churches by going after them for what they believe in, what they stand in. Well, here's Nehemiah. His ministry is to rebuild that wall. That's why he went back. And he believes God wants him to do it, and, and God did tell him to do it. And then they believe it is time to deal with the leadership if they can't get to Nehemiah any other way. Uh, they failed to be able to go up and attack him, uh, literally with swords and spears and shields, and now they're going to try uh, going after him personally. Maybe we can make him afraid. Now, we have never really been told here exactly the reasons for all their anger against Nehemiah building the wall. It doesn't make sense. Can I say this? Would you remember this? Where there is sin, there is confusion. Sin always confuses things. And that's why things here don't add up and they don't make sense. Because the people that are after him, there's no rhyme or reason for logic in terms of what they're doing. Nehemiah had permission to do this from Artaxerxes. Artaxerxes is the greatest king on earth at the time. He's ruling 127 provinces, and he's the ruler over the land of Israel. And by the way, that's where Sanballat and Tobiah and Gershom, uh, written differently a couple of times, but that's where, that's where they are at. They're under Artaxerxes' rule. What's the issue? Artaxerxes sent Nehemiah back. He paid for a lot of this stuff. And he's encouraging him. And yet these people, these lower governors, are trying to cause all kinds of problems. I don't get it. Sometimes the world opposes our ministry, and it makes no sense as to why they would attack us. I, I just could not believe what happened when Franklin Graham brought Samaritan's Purse and their ship uh, full of medical supplies and medical tents and all kinds of help to just help people infected with COVID-19, and all of a sudden they just tried to shut his ministry down because they did not believe in the LGBTQ uh, philosophy and way of life. They still treated anybody who came to them. They loved anybody who came to them, but people tried to shut them down. For what? For free medical care? For taking care of people when they needed it the most? Yeah, because they also did it in the name of Jesus Christ. And our world is no longer willing to accept that. And so they persecuted them. Well, these provincial leaders in Nehemiah's day have something to lose and they have something to gain. A note is uh, made that the doors have not been hung at this point in the opening of the gates around the wall, but the wall is coming along nicely. So there still is an opening into the city 
that right now would take some real work to defend. Regardless of that, in verse 2, the enemies are now trying to draw Nehemiah away from the safety of Jerusalem and do some sort of evil to him, probably to kill him. If we can't stop it any other way, let's kill the leader. That's probably what is going to happen as far as they're concerned. Now, it doesn't say how Nehemiah knew that there was an evil plot against him, but he knew. The place that they want him to meet them is a place that is outside the borders of Israel. So let's lure him out of his own land, away from his people. We'll have this meeting. We can fall on him and kill him, or at least we can torture him until he says, I'll quit. He knows they want to do evil to him, and he knows where they want to do it now. Now it's decision time. What are you going to do? So you're doing your ministry, and you're confronted with people who don't like it, and they want you to stop, and now they're trying to draw you away. Where are you at? What do you feel like now? What would you do with this situation? Well, in verse 3, he decides that the work of Yahweh is more important than meeting with them. He is simply saying, I will not leave my work for God and meet with you for evil. So he sends the message back to them. I am busy doing some important work. I am not going to leave. How can I finish the wall if I leave and go see you? In verse 4, the enemies persisted in sending four exactly the same messages to Nehemiah. Come to the meeting, come to the meeting, come to the meeting. Why don't you come out here to the meeting? And uh, he sent back exactly the same message every single time. Four times they said this, four times he answered them in exactly the same way. I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop? We could add in there, why should the work of, of God stop uh, when, I, when I can't come down right now? It's going to go on. So one of the things we want to remember in persecution is we need to do our best to continue to do the work that God gave us to do, the best way that we can do it with God's help. As he delays, think of it this way, more work is being done for God. And that's what we need to keep in mind. Now let's look at verses 5 through 9. So Nehemiah has refused. Then Sanballat sent his servant to me in the same manner the fifth time with an open letter in his hand. So now he thinks, okay, we're done just talking with Nehemiah. Let's send a letter that everybody in town can read. Let's send a letter that's to be read in public about this. Maybe we can scare everybody. So Sanballat sent his servant to me with, in the same manner the fifth time with an open letter. That's what that means in his hand. And it was written, and he quotes, It is reported among the nations, and Gashum, Gashmu says, And you and the Jews are planning to rebel Therefore, you are rebuilding the wall, and you are to be their king according to these reports. You have also appointed prophets to proclaim in Jerusalem concerning you, a king is in Judah. And now it will be reported to the king, he means Artaxerxes, according to all these reports, so come now, let us take counsel together. It's just another way to get him to the meeting under false pretenses. Then in verse 8, I sent a message to him saying, Such things as you are saying have not been done, but you are inventing them in your own mind. For all of them were trying to frighten us, thinking they would become, we would become discouraged with the work, and it will not be done. But now, O oh God, strengthen, strengthen my hands. Because now he's really in an open threat. And so are the people. 
So we learn here that the enemy often uses unfounded accusations to stop the work of God. All right, friends, so before we go on, let's remind ourselves of what it says of our enemy, Satan. By the way, I believe in the reality of demons and evil spirits because Jesus did, and I think he knows what he's talking about. They are a real force against us. It says in Revelation 12.10, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. He who accuses them before God night and day. So he ends that verse with a merism. He talks about the opposite ends of two things, night and day, to include everything in between. In other words... Satan spends his time before the throne of God accusing God's people of wrongdoing, of not obeying, of, not, of being bought by God by the wealth that he gives us, and that's the only reason we serve him. He's always accusing us of wrongdoing. So one of the things we need to be able to recognize is Satan's hand in opposition. When we encounter that, we need to remember that Satan is an accuser. And they laid these things out in the letter, and they're accusing not only Nehemiah, who they say wants to be king, but the rest of them saying, we're going to build this wall, we're going to back out on the rule of Artaxerxes and be our own kingdom. And Nehemiah says, you made that up. You, you came up with that in your own mind. You're accusing us of that which isn't true. And friends, that's just what Satan does every day. And that's what he's doing to these people. And we need to be aware of it. In verse 5, to further Im Im uh, sorry, not imitate, but intimidate Nehemiah, Sanballat for the fifth time sends a letter, but this time it's for everybody to read. It's a smear campaign. It now goes public. The enemy loves to use slander, malice, innuendo, false accusation to cause fear in the victim and to get public pressure going against their victim, in this case, a believer in God. And all these tools that we mentioned, slander, malice, innuendo, false accusation, those are the weapons of darkness. Those are the weapons of the evil one that he uses against the saints of God. In verses 6 and 7, here's the accusations. Number one, they said, Nehemiah, we know what you're doing. Number one, you are planning to rebel against Artaxerxes. And his other name, remember, is Xerxes. And that you are building the wall for that purpose. You want us to wait around while you build this protection around the city so that you can declare that you're the king, not Artaxerxes. Number two, you or they, including the Jews, have plans to make you their king. We know what's going on. You want to be king and you want them to make you king. Thirdly, you appointed prophets to proclaim there is a king in Judah because Jews listen to prophets and we can get them to go that way. So these are the accusations. Nehemiah looks at that, and he says, you made that up. There is no truth in any of those things. These men do not care about the prosperity and security of the kingdom of Artaxerxes. They could care less about that king. He's ruling over them and their people, and they'd like to be free too. So we shouldn't get the idea that they're really concerned about what they're concerned about, because they're not. They care only about their own welfare, another sign of the enemy. 
They didn't listen to Artaxerxes in the first place. Did you get that? He brought a letter, and the king's army, some of them came with him to start this work. Letter didn't mean anything. The proof that they needed from King Artaxerxes meant nothing. They don't care about that. Now they're saying they care about Artaxerxes? No, they don't. They're a pack of liars. Remember what John 8:44 says about Satan. He is a liar. And when he speaks, he speaks his native language, which is lying. And this is another lie. That's another way we recognize what is going on because it is a lie. And God doesn't lie. Satan does. So what they're saying is, we're going to tell the king on you. And we're going to see a lot of trouble come to you. Hey, buddy, we're your friends. We're trying to stop this. Come meet us at our meeting and we'll work this out. We'll figure out how we can do this. And it's all a lie. So in verses 8 and 9, Nehemiah points out that Sanballat is making all this up. And he knows that because it's not true. So he denies any wrongdoing, Nehemiah does. He points out their motive. You're just trying to frighten us, so we'll stop our work. He wants the builder's hands to drop in discouragement and stop building the wall. Right? I think that's a, that's a, a pretty picture uh, in the literature here of this verse, verse 9. What we're saying is that what the verse says literally in the Hebrew text, instead of the word become discouraged, the word is actually you're trying to cause the builders to drop their hands. All right, so if I have a hammer in my hand, if I have, uh, you know, something for the brick and the mortar, and you want me to drop it, it means you win and I quit. And so I want you to notice what he does, all right? He's talking about that for all of them were trying to frighten us, thinking that we would drop our hands with the work and, and it would not be done. And so because of what he heard, literally, he says, but now, O God, what? Strengthen my hands. Strengthen my hands. The prayer against me is, the thought against me is, you drop your hands from your work. And he says, God, strengthen my hands. Apparently, we can't stop doing what God wants us to do just because of threats. And so we move on. He prays the opposite. God, strengthen my hands. Nehemiah is dealing wisely, but he's also putting his case in God's hands. We want to remember that. Vengeance belongs to God. Deuteronomy 32, 35 teaches vengeance belongs to God. Romans 12, 17 to 21. We don't take vengeance. Instead of returning evil for evil, we, we return good. And so Nehemiah is counting on God to take care of him. Then verses 10 to 14, where we learn the enemy may use people within the faith to destroy the minister and his work. All right, let's read it. When I entered the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, and Mehethethbel, who was, uh, who was confined at home, so here's a man, in some way he's uh, uh, somewhat of an invalid and he can't get around, and so he is confined in that house of his. And he says, he says to Nehemiah, Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple, and let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you, and they are coming to kill you at night. So this so-called prophet calls Nehemiah to his house, because he can't get out, and he says, I care about you. I want you to know we have people coming. There's people coming to kill you. I happen to know this at night. Let's flee to the temple where they can't get us. They, they probably wouldn't look in there. Let's go to the temple. Now, this is a guy that is a Jew, and he's supposed to be telling the truth. Supposedly, he's a man of God. 
But I said, in verse 11, should a man like me flee, or could one such as I go to the temple to save my life? I will not go in. Then I perceived that surely God had not sent him. But he uttered his prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had paid him off. He was hired for this reason, that I might become frightened and act accordingly and sin, so that they might have an evil report in order that they could reproach me. Remember, oh my God, Tobiah and Sanballat, according to these works of theirs, and, and also Noadiah, the prophetess, and the rest of the prophets who were trying to frighten me. Isn't it amazing? Inside the city, inside of Israel, there are people that are supporting Sanballat and Tobiah and all the enemies. Why? And so this man says, basically he's a prophet, he says, you need to come to the temple, you need to come and you need to hide and, and you need to be safe. Nehemiah uh, meets with that prophet in his house, let's go to the temple. And he says, they're going to kill you. So he acts like he's really there for your own good. All right, so this is a prophet, and he's giving a message about saving Nehemiah's life. What if that was you? And somebody called you aside and said, I know there's a plot. I know they're coming to get you, and we need to flee for safety. What would you think? Oh, okay. And then he says, here's what we need to do. Let's go to the temple. Oh, you and I might be a little fearful at this point, wondering what do we do? The prophet says that they should flee to the temple, shut themselves in the doors. But first of all, he's talking to the wrong man because this man is a man who knows the word of God. And uh, Nehemiah is not a priest. And it says in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 13, I think that's in your bulletin there. Oh, no, wait a minute. I'm looking, at, I'm looking for Numbers 3.10 here, just a minute. Numbers 3.10, you can go there too. I'm looking too, so we'll maybe get there at the same time. Numbers 3.10. Now tell me if this is clear or not. So you shall appoint Aaron and his sons that they may keep their priesthood, but the layman, the non-priest, Nehemiah is no priest. The layman, the non-priest, who comes near, who, who dares to go into the temple of God, shall be put to death. Interesting. This guy says, I want to care about you. Let's flee and go inside the temple and let's lock the doors. And Nehemiah says, what? There is no way I'm going to go in the temple. I don't belong there. God says there's a death penalty waiting for those that do. And he is not about to do that. He's not about to go in there. So sometimes when people are pretending to care for you, they'll ask you to do things that are not godly. So the prophet was doing that. This prophet was not being a man of God. You know why? Believers never tell believers to sin in order to make things right. Never. Now, I want to see that very clearly. I told my Sunday school class this morning, listen for this. So if I've lost you already, this is where you want to listen. First of all, only priests are allowed inside the temple. Nehemiah knows that. I'm not going in. This man pretends to be a man of God. Oh, I'm a believer just like you. I really care about you. Let's do this. But the plan includes something that I can't do. All right? So a part of the solution is going to be the problem. Now, I really would like you to take your Bible and turn to Deuteronomy 13 with me. 
I'd really like you to see this. Now, I want to concentrate on verses 3 and 4, but we need a context. Or as, as my, my friend Mike Rogers likes to say, now you need to know this, all right? So this is what you need to know. Look at verse 1. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, you know, in the last days, the Bible says that when the Antichrist comes, uh, he's going to do signs and wonders and miracles, so as even to deceive the elect. Just because somebody can raise somebody from the dead or heal them from their sickness does not mean they're on the side of the truth. He said, if a prophet or dreamer of dreams comes among you and he gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder comes true concerning which he spoke to you, saying, let us go after other gods whom you have not known, let us serve them, you shall not listen. Okay, this is where we want to focus. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or the dreamer of dreams. Why? Why shouldn't I listen? For Yahweh your God, get this, are you looking, is testing you. Well, God, what are you testing me about? Well, what are you testing me for in this situation where I, I have somebody trying to get me to go after other gods and they're, they say they're a prophet? They even, they even performed a miracle. Surely I should listen for the Lord your God is testing you to find out, look, look, brothers and sisters, if, if you love Yahweh your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. I added that last part. You shall follow Yahweh your God and fear him. Look, and you shall keep his commandments. Listen to his voice and serve him and cling to him. Did you catch that? This guy says, I want to help you save your life. Let's flee to the temple. Nehemiah goes, wait a minute. The Torah, the law says, I don't go in the temple. That's wrong. And God warned them in Deuteronomy. People are going to come along in religious gatherings. People are going to come along in the church. People are going to come along and say things. Maybe they can perform a miracle and they say things. And what they say goes against the word of God. Did you ever think that when you're trying to deal with this book that God may be testing you and I to see if we'll stick with the book? To see if we'll do what God wants us to do? God says, I'm testing you to see if you'll follow me, to do what the book says. And, and we hear all kinds of things, and we accept all kinds of things that are no longer uh, true anymore. They're, they're not in the book. God is interested that you and I look at what people say, and, and regardless of what they do, what's the book say? And then we, we walk in that road. We follow that path. We don't go somewhere else. We don't think, well, God must have told this mighty prophet that I need to flee to the temple. God doesn't contradict himself. God doesn't talk out of both sides of his mouth. If he said, don't go into the temple, you don't go into the temple. I don't care if you or an angel from heaven or a prophet that claims to be from God tells me to do otherwise. I will not abandon the truth. I know you're not Baptist. Can I at least get a little amen out about that? <laughs> Apparently not. Okay, all right. Oh, you people. What should be your counsel to someone who has a problem and comes to you for advice? Maybe they're suffering. After what we've learned here, have you ever counseled just a little bit of rebellion to keep somebody safe or promoted sin in your counsel? 
Shouldn't the people of God be careful when speaking as a child of God to speak the words of God? I like Dr. Nicolation in his commentary. He's, he's pretty down to earth. He said this. He's talking about the Christian community. He says, some in our community are, su- are surprisingly ready to cooperate with the enemy. I understand now there's this thing called Christian tarot cards sweeping churches. <laughs> Shouldn't that raise a red flag? Let's not be, let's let not this be us. Sadly, opposition does come from within the believing community, but we don't follow something if it's not the truth, and we don't tell people to do something that includes sinning against God. In the battle, we don't squirm, we stand firm. That's that Ephesians 6.13 passage we saw early. Having put on the armor of God, what? Run like a bunch of cowards? No. Stand firm in the truth. Stand firm with what you have in God. Nehemiah then realized that the prophet was not speaking for God because he counseled sin. He was a hired prophetic gun. His motives run pure. His convictions were for sale. His relationship with God questionable at best. His mission inspired by the enemy, not by the Spirit of God. The plot is clear. Shimeiah was setting him up to sin, lose favor with the Jews, and substantiate an evil report by which they could defeat Nehemiah. And so we get him to run into the temple, and then we squeal on him. Nehemiah's in the temple, and everybody knows he shouldn't be there. What's going on? I don't know. We didn't mean him any harm. Pack of liars. They would ruin his reputation. Again, Dr. Nicolation says this sentence. God doesn't part the Red Sea for Nehemiah. God could have made this all go away. God doesn't part the Red Sea for Nehemiah, but quietly enables one who openly trusts him to endure in the midst of battle. And I'm going to say 95% of the time, that's the way it's going to be. God doesn't part the Red Sea for Nehemiah, but quietly enables one who openly trusts him to endure in the midst of the battle. When you get in persecution and trouble, this is your lifeline. This is the manual. This is what we're going to follow. And we don't deviate for anybody. God allows for his own purposes, listen, complications and opposition to the ministry. In those places, we see faith for the shining star that it is, like we'll never see it in the calm. In verse 14, not, not one to take personal vengeance, Nehemiah prays to God to remember. In other words, take action on what these men are doing against us. These human enemies that are being used of our enemy, of, of our souls to cause fear. Because we've said a hundred times, remember, fear kills faith. Fear kills faith and stops ministry. Note that it is not just the men who already know, but specifically, note that it is not just the men we already know, but specifically, a female prophetess is singled out, Noadiah, and other prophets who had all sold out to the enemy and his plan. Yes, people that call themselves Christians sometimes are willing to sell out. Watch it. A quick question. Why does God allow opposition inside the church? Paul answers that in 1 Corinthians 
I want to just end with that. I know I'm out of time. Bear with me just a minute. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 18 and 19, Paul says, for in the first place, now he's chastising them because they're not doing communion right or their love feast. And he says, for in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that division exists among you. Uh Uh-oh, that's not supposed to be in the church. The Apostle Paul says, I get reports of your church and there's division there. For in the first place, when you come together, uh, there's division. And, And in part, I believe it. But look what he says. For there must also be factions among you so that the reason or the purpose God lets that happen, so that those who are approved, he means approved of God, may become evident among you. So when there's trouble within the the church community, when there's trouble within the family, what will happen is God lets that stuff happen to find out who is going to follow the word and be faithful to God, and who's going to pick up the weapons and tools of Satan and cause trouble. And then we'll know where we stand and where everybody else stands. It's built into the program to test us. Will we be true to God? We will learn that despite the enemy's efforts, they fail because God is faithful to his servants. Let me just give you these applications there at the end of it, and then I'll be quiet. Number one, it is a good thing that we have believers who have an uncompromising determination to do the will of God. Not their will, not the will of what feels good or what seems right to public, but the will of God. And friends, that sets them apart. Secondly, as a, as a Christian, you and I, we can say, I cannot disobey God and get where I want to be in life. Somehow we Christians think we can do whatever we want and we'll still have God give us whatever we want in life. The Bible doesn't say that. Thirdly, we are not to be surprised if opposition to the ministry comes from within the community of faith. And finally this, we don't hand out advice that goes against the word of God. We never hand out advice. No matter how much we love somebody, no matter how much we want them to feel good, we must, out of love, tell them the truth. Friends don't tell friends lies or lead them down the wrong path. And we want to be friends with our brothers and sisters. God gives us some wonderful things to hang on to when things get confusing and persecution comes. Let's pray, shall we? Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you can take something that happened thousands of years ago And it be so absolutely appropriate for us today. Absolutely what we needed to hear. Absolutely the path we need to follow. Thank you for loving us so much that you take care of us with your truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. you would please stand and open your hymnal to number 342. We will close by singing Just As I Am. We will just sing the first verse today. Just as I am.
Will you close in prayer with me, please? Gracious God, we just thank you for this day and thank you for the for the uh, passage from your word that we got to learn about today. Lord, I pray that you'd help each one of us, no matter what our walk in life is or where we're at in life, whether young or old, whether working or retired, whether student or adult, I just pray, Lord, that wherever we're at, that you would give us the strength and the ability um, and the willingness to be a leader for you uh, to those around us, that we would spread your light and that we would do right in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen.